Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is our text for today's sermon. It's 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. The following statements on this passage are taken from the recent report on the Ad Interim Committee on Women Serving in the Church that the PCA has just um, uh, just completed. And I want to uh, read you uh, how they approach this passage with a few quotes from that, uh, that report. They say this, Complementarianism suggests Paul's prohibition the prohibition here for women not teaching or exercising authority. Complementarianism suggests Paul's prohibition is permanent but partial. Thus, women may teach privately, informally, and occasionally, as Priscilla and others did, but they should not present the doctrines of the faith as authoritative church leaders in the assembly of the saints. The task guarding the gospel occupied Paul's letter to Timothy and was given to elders or overseers who are male and the husband of one wife. And then later they say this, the point is not that men must do all the teaching or women must never teach men anything. Rather, Paul wrote that the primary calling of men who are tested, approved, and consecrated by the church, elders, must preach, teach, and defend the gospel of Christ. And then this later, uh, Paul is forbidding that they, women, rule in a church context. Women may lead in various ways, but just as men bear final responsibility for the doctrine of the church, so men bear final responsibility for the direction of the church. And then finally, they, the authors of the report boil down their interpretation of the passage to this final statement. They say women should learn the faith and share their knowledge in some settings, and in parentheses is Titus 2.4. They should not become the principal instructors and defenders of the faith in the institutional church. This has been God's plan in order from the beginning, one in which women thrive as they live out their faith. And so we, we come at that and we think, okay, that seems fairly reasonable what they're saying there. But all along, as I've been preaching this passage... I've been preach I, I've been saying that first Timothy two, eight through fifteen have application in the church, but that the context and arguments of this passage go well beyond the church to all of society. I've been consistently saying that as we've gone through the passage, and the context of the passage makes that clear. It's quite clear that the men and women who served on PCA's committee seems set on restricting the passage's application to the institutional church 
and the teaching ministry of the church and further still the teaching ministry of the church in the assembly to Sunday mornings. So this passage is essentially restricted to only Sunday mornings right here behind the wood of the pulpit. Okay? They argue that what Paul says in the next chapter restricts the application of the text to the church. And Paul says in the next chapter, in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, they say that everything in this book has to be restricted because of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 14. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Indeed, it is quite clear that one of the main purposes of Paul's letter to Timothy and Titus is for the sake of the organization of the church. Um, There is no doubt about it as he talks about Timothy's preaching and teaching as he talks about the qualifications for elders and deacons, as he talks about the particular arguments of of the false teachers who are coming in and afflicting the church. But nonetheless, I say that 1 Timothy 2 cannot be restricted just to application to the church. Why? Because of Paul's argument from the order of creation. Man was created to govern, to protect, and to cherish the woman. The woman was created for the man as a helpmate. As Christians who believe that the Bible is inerrant and inspired by God, written by the Holy Spirit himself, there is no way for us to reject the commands of God concerning the order of sexuality. The application of Scripture's doctrine of sexuality, it, it is mind-boggling. If what I'm saying is scriptural and what I'm saying is true, the application of male and female in a culture that is hell-bent in throwing it off and calling it evil, it's, it's mind-boggling. Right? Just this past week, the news was filled with talk about Chelsea Manning. Right, The man who committed treasonous acts, decided he was a woman, went through with the transition, and now will use taxpayer funding to surgically change the plumbing. You're paying for it. Okay, And he's, he's understood to be a hero. Okay, he's understood to be courageous. He's under, understood to be a trailblazer for freedom. Every time I talk with my nieces and nephews or to high school students or college students, I learn that they have been schooled by the evil one when it comes to sexuality. Uh, They do not understand the fundamental premise of Scripture from the first chapter, reaffirmed by the Son of God, that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Biological, scientific, theological, philosophical, and biblical realities are being denied today. And such teaching is of the evil one, and it will lead to the damning of souls to hell. So you may be, begin to understand my frustration when I come to a passage like this, which is the Holy Spirit teaching mankind about the differences between male and female, between men and women, 
And the church says it only speaks to the church and her corporate Lord's Day worship. And the church that I serve in restricts it to corporate Lord's Day worship. So not only is it restricted to the church, but it's further restricted to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning when the pulpit is occupied. That's all this passage applies to. If the Holy Spirit did not appeal to the order of creation, we might be able to truncate the passage like that. But the reason given for the prohibition of women on teaching and exercising authority over a man is an appeal to the order of creation prior to the fall. The way God made things to work. Prior to the fall, life was ordered as God intended it to be ordered. And because Adam was created first and Eve was created From Adam second, Adam, the first man and head of the race, had authority and has authority over the woman. Indeed, this this is taught to us by the rebuke that God brings to the man after Eve and then Adam eat the forbidden fruits. God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Eve was deceived and ate the forbidden fruit. Then Adam failed as the head of the race and the head of the woman. And the one called to govern, protect, and cherish his wife, Adam failed to correct. He failed to teach. He failed to exercise authority over his lovely wife. And what is the result of that throwing off of God's order? It's the fall. Sin enters the world and the curse reigns and the very necessity of the second Adam making things right is locked in. Uh, There would now be no salvation without the shedding of blood. The blood that would have to be shed would be the very son of God's blood. So Eve was taught by the serpent, Adam failed to govern his wife, and this disordering of the creation order has played out time and time again throughout the ages. And now Satan's deceptions have taken a new form, denying biological realities, right? Denying male and female, denying heterosexuality, denying in a nutshell all the things that God has called good. And the church wants me to be quiet about how this has a bearing on how men and women relate everywhere. They want me to say that male and female only has force when it comes to the pulpit for an hour and a half a week. They want me to avoid saying that male and female has any bearing on places like where we work. But we all know by experience that that is not true. Male and female has bearing everywhere and is always coming into play in the way that we relate to one another. They want me to say that there's nothing shameful about having women as governing rulers. Though scripture's testimony is different. Deborah's words to Barak regarding Jael are enough to prove it. 
But think of this from the book of Isaiah chapter 3. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord. To rebel against his glorious presence, the expression of their faces bears witness against them and they display their sin like Sodom. Sounds like a description of America. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves. Say to the righteous that it will go well with them for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly for him, for what he deserves will be done to him. O my people, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. O my people, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. Now, did you hear that? That is a lament. It's a lament in scripture. Oh, my people, women rule over them. And yet somehow the Holy Spirit's commands that sexuality has a bearing on teaching and exercising authority over men is only restricted to an hour or 30 minutes in the pulpit. How can that be? Sometimes the commands of scripture are radical, aren't they? Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And scripture says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And scripture says, you shall not covet. And scripture says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And scripture says, but if you do not forgive others, then your, your father will not forgive your transgressions. And we are all willing to accept the fact that obedience to those commands would be radically life-altering, aren't we? To obey those commands has radical application everywhere that would require a faith in God that is strong. It, it has application everywhere. So when it comes to this command, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, is the church doing all she can to make obedience to that requirement? Why is the church making it cost so little to obey that command? Why, for example, am I considered a Neanderthal by many of you right now, but by, as, a, as a minister of the word of God, When I tell a career military woman who has continually exercised authority over a man that it would be godliness for her to begin confessing her sexuality and to obey this command. I'm the one who's made to feel ashamed about that. Why can this command be made so easy to obey, but the other commands of Scripture require faith, life-altering faith to obey? I admit that I don't have all the answers when it comes to applying these verses to the church, to home, and particularly to our society. But I at least want to acknowledge that we must be willing to address the question. We have to be willing to address the question. Do we have sexuality right in America today? No. Well, let's think about what God's inerrant, infallible word says on that. Now think about this. Because of the creation order and on the basis of the woman being deceived, the Holy Spirit teaches that women are not to exercise or have authority over men. 
At the end of the report of the committee of the ad interim on women serving in the church, we received these recommendations, among others. Recommendation number two, that sessions, presbyteries, and the General Assembly recognize that from the founding of the PCA, there has been a variety of views and practices regarding the ways in which women may serve the Lord and the church within the scriptural and constitutional parameters without ordination, and that such mutual respect for said views and practices continues. So we've got a wide variety of practices that should continue. Recommendation number three, that sessions, presbyteries, and general assemblies strive to develop, recognize, and utilize the gifts, skills, knowledge, wisdom of godly women in the local, regional, and national church, and particularly consider overtures that would allow qualified women to serve on appropriate committees and agencies within the church. Recommendation number seven, that presbyteries and the general assembly consider an overture that would establish formally the right of sessions, presbyteries, and the general assembly to establish the position of commissioned church worker within the PCA for qualified, gifted, unordained men and women. A new position, commissioned church worker. Now, dear brothers and sisters, do these recommendations make you think that the PCA is intent on obeying this command or that they are intent on working around these commands? Do you have confidence that a denomination that has presbyteries that have begun promoting the gay celibate Christian movement, do you have confidence that they will have courage to say anything clearly about 1 Timothy 2? Do you have confidence in a day and age like ours where sex distinctions are being destroyed and and incredible burdens are being laid on the young generation? That this movement toward women's participation in the leadership of the church is not merely a way to save face and remain respectable in a godless culture. I do not have any confidence. I think if any of you, especially you godly women, were to read this report, you would see it as I do, soft men, committing the same error as Adam. It is a missed opportunity to give glory to God, to assert that male and female are good, and that God means for us to obey his commands when it comes to our sexuality. It's a missed opportunity for us to shout before the world, hell-bent on calling evil what God has created and called good. It's, it's, it's a missed, it's a ripe opportunity missed. It's a missed opportunity for men to exercise authority and a missed opportunity for women to thank God they aren't called to exercise authority. You know, because it's so fun to exercise authority in a time when authority is hated. It's it's just a ball. It's a missed opportunity to declare particularly the glory of femininity and a woman's rightful spheres of authority. The spheres of authority that God has actually given to the woman. G.K. Chesterton once said, people do not know what they are doing because they do not know what they are undoing. And I think that is particularly the case today when it comes to the church speaking on 1 Timothy 2 and sexuality. 
the biggest losers will be women and femininity. What the PCA is intent on doing is only affirming those callings that are particularly masculine, teaching and exercising authority. But in trying to draw women as closely to men as they can with just the pulpit as the place where women can't teach, what they're doing or what they're undoing is is the particularly feminine callings, all of which can be encapsulated by the designation given to Eve, help mate. What the PCA is intent on doing is making sure that feminine deference and submission is denied and that in the end what will happen is the men will shrivel up and check out and simply insist that the women take the reins. You've seen this happen in households, haven't you? You've seen men, you've seen yourself do this. And so instead of following the godly and good example of our father Abraham, whom the Lord commanded this way, Abraham was commanded by God this way, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Instead of that, we will have soft men. Soft men, soft men. I'm going to try and say that as many times as I can. Soft men. That's the word malakos. It's a Greek word. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Okay, soft men. Soft men. We will have soft men who do not insist on anything good and godly. But just go with the flow. So we attempt to make our women men, and as a result, our men women. It's as if the church has its own transgender movement. It's so sad. It's a gender neutering of everything. It is to take Jesus' statement that from the beginning he made male and female and say, ah, I mean, it's not so important. Not so important. Now let me make you a little uncomfortable. Ha <laughs> ha. By giving you a quote from an old sermon on this text from a day when there was not so much sex anarchy going on. Here's a second lesson from this text. That after the fall as well of man and of woman, the woman must know that she is more in fault than the man because she was deceived by Satan and did so turn her husband away from the obedience of God that she was an instrument of death to bring all to destruction. And then listen to this. Therefore, the woman must know and she must learn what it is to be subject because she lifted up herself in such sort against her creator and not only against her husband. It is reasonable that now she should be brought under and that she bear, as it were, a note of ignominy, that's public shame, and shame about her. She should bear the shame of Eve because Eve turned the order around. Now you can imagine someone today preaching that, saying that a woman should learn from Eve's bad example and should therefore embrace subjection. Can you imagine the outrage that would break out at GA if that point were made? How dare you take Eve's example as normative? I can hear everybody saying. 
How dare you draw such a lesson from Eve's sin? But dear brothers and sisters, think of what Calvin was saying in that sermon. Think of the point. All he is saying is what the Holy Spirit says here in 1 Timothy 2. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was created first, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into sin. I mean, because of God's good creation order and because of the transgression of Eve, women should embrace submission and deference in the fear of God. This, the first is positive, right? God's creation order. The second underscores the first. Look what happens when that order is thrown off. Could it be that you are to think about Eve and her example and say, God disciplines me for the pride of that first woman? God disciplines me for the pride of the first woman. 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14 allows no other examination. Let a woman meditate on this and live by faith. Live live as if God made a woman for a purpose. For a specific purpose, which he undoubtedly did. Right? Should I try to get an amen at the end of this sermon? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the way the word corrects us. The way the word wakes us up out of the slumber of our society, of our church, of our homes. Oh, Father, I I have failed. I have failed to govern, to love, to cherish, to protect my family. And that has made my wife have to step up and turn the creation order on its head. And Father, we see this being replicated all the time. We see it being replicated in the church and our embarrassment over these passages. Father, I pray that these words would sink deeply within our hearts and that we would be willing to work through the questions that come up from the, the mere fact that you made Adam first and Eve second. And I pray that we would rejoice in it because all that you've done, Father, is good. None of it is, is happenstance. It is all for a purpose. And so, Father, we pray that you would grant to us repentance and further still that our repentance may be seen by a, a, a culture that is dying And they may ask why it is that we obey this way, why it is that we have hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.